Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I am your host, Andrew Gross, A. Gross Newsday on Twitter, if you so wish. And this is episode 14, the first of a new decade, uh, depending on which side of the fence of the decade argument you sit on. I happen to think this is a new decade, and uh, I've written so, so, uh, you know, I'm on that side. But uh, welcome to 2020, which is something my optometrist has never said to me. Uh, we're, we're starting off a new leaf with uh, humor on this podcast, and there are at least attempts at it. But anyway, look, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be back. I hope everyone had a happy and a healthy new year. Um, I managed to get back in time from Washington, uh, where the Islanders uh, played a pretty decent game, a 4-3 win uh, over the Capitals, the first place Capitals in the Metropolitan Division, made it back in, in time to uh, celebrate uh, New Year's with my wife, and uh, I, I hope all of you had a great New Year's as well. Very happy uh, for the first time, long time, to be back in the uh, beautiful Newsday studio here. It seems like forever. It might have been since before Thanksgiving that I've been here. Uh, you know, I, I've recorded podcasts in my hotel room. I've recorded podcasts in my bedroom or in the guest bedroom, uh, trying to keep it quiet while my wife tried to sleep. Uh, I've recorded a podcast sitting in my car in a parking lot, but it, it, it's great to be back in the studio. It's great to be uh, looking at my producer, Mark LaMonica, uh, who always gives me facial cues when I'm running the uh, podcast off the rails here. So uh, uh, hopefully we stay on track. And uh, um, coming up on the show, uh, like I said, a uh, road trip before the New Year's Eve, and uh, the first stop was in Chicago. So I caught up with our old friend Robin Leonard. I uh, have an interview with him that we'll play later in the show. Um, Andrew's Answers makes a return after a one-week hiatus. Uh, plenty of questions lined up in the queue there. Uh, but let's start with this schedule. Um, the Islanders, like I said, coming off a 2-1-0 road trip. Um, kind of a, a bizarre trip in a way uh, in that because of uh, the collective bargaining agreement, they, they play on the 27th in Chicago. And per the CBA, they're not allowed to gather as a team and fly to Chicago until that morning. Uh, <laughs> so the team gathered for an 8 a.m. flight to Chicago, went right to the rink, right out for a morning skate, uh, a little bit of a quick nap, day rooms in the hotel, went out and uh, the aforementioned Robin Leonard beat him 5-2 with the Blackhawks. Uh, uh, Thomas Grice doesn't make it too far in that game, gives up three goals on 11 shots, and uh, pretty much looked like what you would think with the team scrambling to get out to a game. You usually don't see that kind of travel only in the preseason. Very rare, except for coming out of the three-day holiday break. Uh, 24, 25th, 26th, no team activities allowed. So no travel until the 27th. And uh, Barry Trotz was a little, I would say, ticked off at the schedule makers there for for sending the Islanders out to Chicago uh, to start uh, that road trip coming off the uh, the holiday break. It was one of only two interconference games, and the other one was Pittsburgh-Nashville, which is, you know, I know they're in east-west conferences, but those two cities, that's not hard travel at all. Uh, the Islanders, you know, Chicago's not brutal, but it is two hours, and if you're meeting that morning, it, it's not, you know, a, a quick run to the grocery store there. So, uh, you know, and, and Jordan Eberle said to me, on top of that, it was kind of bizarre because, uh, you know, that, that Blackhawk game started at 7.30 uh, local time, which meant 8.30 New York time, which most players were pretty much acclimated to since they had just gotten out of New York earlier in the day. So they, they really played 8.30 at night that day, and then they go to Minnesota, and you had one of these tweener games, a 5 p.m. game, and it really took the Islanders a little bit to get – to, to get to their game there. They wind up with a, a 3-1 win. Semyon Varlamov starts that game, and he also starts uh, the, the Tuesday matinee in D.C. to uh, wrap up the year, the decade, and, and the road trip. Uh, 
4-3 win over the Capitals. Uh, I thought it was a it was a good game for the Islanders. You know, it was kind of loose. They 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 let up a lot of space around their crease earlier in the game, um, and that had been a real problem pretty much. You know, through they they had been through a one three one skid, given up twenty four goals, and, and one of the hallmarks of the way Barry Trotz's Islanders play is a, a tight defensive structure, and we've talked about that a lot on the podcast, and it wasn't there. You know, uh, guys were caught drifting, cheating to go up ice uh, for offense, leading to goals. Uh, you know, guys weren't communicating well enough. It just seemed like the low slot and the crease. We're, we're open to the Capitals a lot earlier in the game, and, and they got a, a, two goals at least that way uh, down low. And then in the third period, Varlamov makes 18 of his 36 saves, but uh, a lot of the shots still from the outside, and, and the Islanders really tightened it up. They were outshot 18-4 to four in that third period. Varlamov was, was very, very good. And uh, as a result, he now gets a, a third straight start as we head into uh, uh, Thursday night's game against the Devils at the Coliseum. But, uh, you know, it, it's kind of weird for, for the Islanders here when you, you talk about schedule. We're, we're January 2nd now, um, and the Islanders have yet, uh, until a few hours from now when the puck drops, they have yet to play either the Devils or the Rangers. So you got your two New York metropolitan area rivals, and you know, you're know you basically halfway through the season. You haven't played each one. And each division team plays four times uh, against each other. So you got four games against the Rangers, four games against the Devils. Nothing to this point, but now... Between January 2nd and January 21st, when the Islanders go into their bye week slash all-star break, uh, kind of a long break there. So between, between now and January 21st, they have five games against the Devils and the Rangers, and that's out of 11. So five of 11 are against the Devils and Rangers, and that's two against the Devils, uh, two in five days against the uh Devils, and then I think they have something like three and eight days against the Rangers. So it's it's a it's a really odd schedule there in terms of not playing, not playing, not playing, and then playing, 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 playing. Um, but should be some fun games. It's always fun when the uh, you know the Devils and the play the Rangers, the Rangers play the Islanders, Islanders play the Devils. There is there is definitely something to that metropolitan area rivalry. Was you know was talking about it with Jordan Everly today, and you know this is uh, you know he spent his early part of the career in Edmonton, and you know just getting uh, was the third season now with the Islanders, but he's fully indoctrinated into it. And he was talking about you know Barry Trotz calls it a turf war, and Jordan Everly called it a turf war, saying Barry's completely right. You, you do want those bragging rights. You, you want to say that you are the best team in the metropolitan area. And, uh, you know, certainly based on the standings right now, the Islanders uh, are the best team. They're the most consistent team. The Rangers are having an up-and-down season. They're, they have up-and-down games, as you saw in Edmonton the other night. They're, they're down 6 nothing and, and bring it back to – Six five before they lose seven five, and I thought that was kind of a microcosm of their season. And and the Devils have struggled up until maybe you know a couple of weeks ago. And it sounds weird, but the Devils trade Taylor Hall, and you know they since then they've been playing better hockey. Uh, You know, unfortunately, uh, you know John Hines, who I covered for a couple of years, who I consider a really, really, really good coach and a you know an even better person and man, uh, gets fired uh, because he can't get the team going. And uh, Elaine Nasserdeen uh, now gets his shot as a an interim coach in New Jersey, and I like Nass a lot too. Um, you know, he's more probably of a player's coach. But the the, the bigger point is the the Devils were floundering and are floundering still, and it leads them to trade Hart Trophy winner. Taylor Hall to the Arizona Coyotes, and since then, they've been playing a little bit, in Barry Trotz's words, 
freer. And Jordan Eberly was searching for the right words. And I said, hey, you know, Barry said freer. And Jordan goes, exactly. That's exactly the words I was looking for. And, uh, you know, Barry's take on it is the devil's, uh, you know, had the elephant in the room. Uh, Taylor Hall was going to be an impending uh, UFA and was likely going to get traded. But now he has been traded and the team is it's like the dark cloud is has gone away from the team and how this all pertains to the uh islanders lest you think i've suddenly started a devil's podcast here is like i said the islanders are going to have to play this team and whereas maybe a month or so ago you're thinking well these are you know probably four easy points i mean points are never easy in the nhl that's an overstatement, but you, you think that the Islanders for sure should beat the Devils, you know, and get four out of four points. Uh, now, you know, with the, the way the Devils are playing, and again, a little bit inconsistent, but they are getting a more solid goaltending of late from Mackenzie Blackwood. Uh, these are not going to be easy games, and, and, you know, you throw in the pride factor, and the Devils, just like the Islanders, want to establish bragging rights in these turf wars the Devils and the Rangers are going to want to do that as well. So, uh, you know, the Islanders are certainly going to have to be on top of their game to get the four out of the four points against the Devils. And, uh, you know, even more more important, uh, perhaps, is a long, long-term long picture here. Um, the Islanders hosting the Devils at, at Nassau Coliseum. This is a place where they've lost their last three games. That includes an uncharacteristic 8-3 loss to uh, the Predators and, and, a, and a 6-5 shootout loss to uh, the Ducks. Uh, just really uncharacteristic games where the, the, the Islanders were trying to be too cute. You know, uh, they get a goal. They're, they're trying the extra passes. They're not playing that straight-line north-south game that they have to play. And, uh, you know, more so than than establishing bragging rights now over the Devils, the Islanders are looking to reestablish home turf at Nassau Coliseum, which is going to be very, very important. Uh, as you know, going down the stretch, uh, the Islanders playing the bulk of the games at, at the Coliseum rather than Barclays Center. So, uh, you know, Barry Trotz, you know, often – uh, since Barry has become Islanders coach, he's he said, you know, no difference, home, away, we play the same way, we have to play the same way. Uh, not so much right now. Barry is talking about the importance and the priority he is putting and, and the players have to put on playing well at home and, and not being cute and really simplifying their game and and just getting to the crease and you know, and, and tightening up defensively, uh, which is the number one thing, obviously. And, you know, they did, a, they did a fair job of that. I thought it was a back-to-basics win in Minnesota where they were not letting up as much room around the crease. Uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, obviously uh, a little bit of an issue with that in Washington, but they pulled through 4-3, and a lot of that had to do with uh, Semyon Varlamov's performance and, and and getting to Varlamov like I said uh it would be his third straight start against the Devils or third straight start and it comes against the Devils so he starts against the Wild he starts against the Capitals starts against the Devils he relieves Thomas Grace against the Blackhawks so three straight starts four straight appearances and neither Varlamov or Grace nor Grace, have done that to this point uh, in the season. Um, Barry Trotz always says he has a 1A and a 1B goalie, and you know he really can't make a bad choice. But lately his choice does seem to be Semyon Varlamov, obviously. And you know it, it does seem like you know, Semyon has a chance to really establish himself here um, as, as a bit of a starter going forward. And, you know, I wrote in Newsday in, uh, in Thursday's edition, and I kind of, I guess I blindsided Semyon when I asked him this. But um, so the all-star selections are announced, and the two goalies for the Metropolitan Division are Braden Holtby of the Capitals and Junis uh, Corpusallo of the Blue Jackets. Unfortunately for uh, Corpusallo, he, uh, he tore his meniscus against the uh, Blackhawks a couple of days ago. You know, the timeline on him is four to six weeks. 
And uh, they haven't officially ruled him out of the All-Star game yet. Yet, I, I, I don't see how he comes back, which would probably leave, you know, it does probably leave one spot open on the Metropolitan Division for a goalie. And, uh, you know, I, I went through all the Metropolitan Division goalies the other day, and uh, I, I came up with two guys whose numbers w- would fit into that Metropolitan Division squad, and they are Semyon Varlamov. Um, and they are uh, the Penguins' Tristan Jarry, uh, who's kind of taken over from Matt Murray lately. If you look at the numbers, I mean, Tristan Jarry really does have the numbers to be an all-star. Uh, I think Semyon has kind of done it longer over the course of the whole season. And, uh, you know, Semyon has gotten better and better. We, we talked earlier in the year, uh, Semyon and I, about the work he was doing with the, the goaltending crew uh, coaches of uh, Mitch Korn and Piero Greco, and he was talking to me about the the footwork that he wanted adjusted. And so I went back to him uh, the other day and I asked him whether it, that was now instinctual. And he said, you know, he's he's gotten more comfortable with it, although it's still always a learning process. But the point being that Semyon is on an upward trend. He's he's playing bigger and better positionally in the net. His footwork is a little better. He just seems more comfortable and confident with everything he does. Um, so, yeah, I mean, based over the course of the whole season, if I'm NHL hockey ops and I have to uh, replace Corpusalo, my pick Semyon Varlamov at, at this point. And, uh, you know, as Semyon said to me, he, <laughs> saying, whoa, 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 I really don't want to talk about it. But he said, you know, a lot can happen in three weeks between now and uh, uh, the All-Star game, which, uh, you know, February, uh, February, January, uh, was it 24th, I believe, in St. Louis, 24th, 25th uh, in St. Louis. So he said three weeks, a lot can happen there. But if Varlamov plays the way he is and he continues to get uh, the bulk of the starts here I I could really see him joining uh, the Metropolitan uh, Division squad and uh, uh, earlier today Barry Trotz uh, was was asked about the schedule and he was asked about his goaltending and and here's Barry's thoughts on uh, the schedule ahead as we really get into uh, we're going to pass the midpoint of the season and really get into the playoff push and here's his thoughts on that and uh, where he's going with the goalies right now. Once you get past uh, the Christmas break here things start to roll pretty quick you get through January in three weeks you got a lot of games and then you get a break and then you come back and then you're into February you start playing a lot of games in the, the trade deadline and then you're you can see that that light at the end of the tunnel, at the end of the season. So it comes on you really quick, and um, I think that's when you want to get your game together. I think you want to, you always want to have your game together all 82 games, but it's probably not realistic for anybody in this business. Um, Tampa got pretty close last year. Um, but you really want to build your game. I think it, it's, uh, as you get to that the the games are get tighter they get more meaningful they get more emotional uh you get you're playing teams that are are probably more desperate at times um you know and that's 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 hard it's a grind i'm assuming we're i mean we're seeing it but we're at the part of the season now that you wanted to get to where you will ride the hot hand in net for for a while. Yeah, yeah. I I, I said that uh, you know I I have a, a one A and a one B and I don't know which is which, um, but you know we've been able to string a couple games so we, you know we'll give an opportunity for someone to get you know it, it's sort of funny you saw you know everybody was just one game each one game each then it went to two and now you know it could be three or four for someone and then you know then you go. Maybe the other guy takes it for three or four, and you saw that last year. Um, we may do that uh, as we go along, and then our schedule, schedule may dictate uh, just because you have back-to-backs and you have uh, you know three and fours, you have you know four and sixes coming up just because they're packed in. So that may take away a little bit, but uh, I'm a little more open to it than I was at the start because everything was a little more spread out, and it really, it really wasn't changing a whole lot, you know. And and just getting back to uh, uh, 
the all-star selections, uh, you know, uh, Semyon Varlamov is, is, you would have to think, a candidate right now. Uh, the one solid all-star selection the Islanders do have is uh, Matthew Barzell, and, the, and that is uh, two times in a row for, for Barzy, and he's, you know, he, he seemed to be, and, you know, to me, to Barry Trotz, and certainly to hockey ops, uh, he was the obvious choice. He's the team leading scorer. He's leading the team both with uh, 16 goals and 18 assists. So that's not a bad 34 points in 38 games for Barzi, uh, who at 22 has just really established himself as the Islanders' best skater, uh, you know, top-line center, best scoring option. Um, you know, obvious pick for for the All Star game, and I, I was asking Barzi about it. And, and last year, if you remember, uh, the Metropolitan won the three on three tournament. They beat the Central Division ten five in the uh, in the. I'm making the air quotes the title period there. Um, but Barzell was on a trio as they play three on three in the All Star game. Now uh, on a trio with the Penguins. Uh, Stars uh, Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang, neither of whom is selected right now. Um, and, and those three were just electric on the ice uh, in a three-on-three setting. Um, and Barzell winds up with two goals and four assists in, in the two periods he plays, including two goals, three assists against Central in that, and I'm making air quotes again, the title period. But uh, So I asked Barzi, um you know, no, 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 Sid, no Letang, who, who he thought he might want to play with uh, this year. And he told me, and I, I know this rubbed some Islander fans pretty raw because uh, this was the guy that everyone wanted to see in an Islander jersey this season. But he, but he did choose uh, less money uh, from the Rangers to go there. But Ar- Artemi Panarin, uh, Bar- Barzell said it would be real fun to, uh, play three-on-three open ice with Artemi Panarin. And uh, he also mentioned Blue Jackets defenseman uh, Seth Jones, who's also an incredible skater, great defenseman. Uh, so Barcy thought those three would be a, a fun trio to, to play on, and, and I would tend to agree to him, you know, as far as who you would want to see in a three-on-three, uh, you know, tournament there. But uh, we'll see. And, and also, the Islanders have uh, Brock Nelson as their candidate for the, the fan voting. Uh, last man in, the fan voting open now through, uh, I believe it's January 10th at midnight. So uh, fans can vote on, there's one candidate from each of the eight teams in the Metropolitan and uh, kind of last man in deal in. Even before the All-Star selections were announced, I asked uh, Barry Trotz, you know, if it's not Barzell, you know, who would you consider on the team? And uh, uh, the two guys that that Barry came up with were Brock Nelson and Anthony Beauvillier, but he, he certainly mentioned Nelly first and uh, as a worthwhile candidate. And Barzell, when I was asking him about the selection and who else on the team he thought might be uh, worthy. He he mentioned Nelly as well. Nelly, you know, right behind uh, Barzell with 14 goals, 16 assists. So that's 30 points in 38 games. And, uh, you know, everyone, you know, including the team talks about Brocktober and these good starts that Nelson has gotten off to. But he's really, I, I feel, carried it through through the new year here. He's been a very consistent player. Him and Beauvillier have some real chemistry there. And it seems like Barry Trotz has settled. He, he's just committed, and Derek Broussard is going to be the right wing there. You know, uh, Brass has fluctuated between uh, playing with uh, Beauvillier and Nelly, where he, obvi- he has some obvious uh, chemistry. But he was brought in here to be a third-line center, so Barry seems to keep going back to that. But I, I really think Barry at this point is committing to uh, to brass on, on Nelson's uh, right wing, at least for the time being. And, uh, you know, that's we've talked about it on the podcast, and it, it's been one of Barry's issues right now uh, through much of the season, just getting those four lines correct and balanced and you know uh, now with Cal Clutterbuck out that's been an issue uh you know sustaining that 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 Martin Sezikis production 
or, or you know, uh, just their ability to be productive even without the points on the fourth line. And, and Leo Komarov is settled in there. And, uh, you know, he's a different player than Cal Clutterbuck. Barry Trott said Cal Clutterbuck is a much more detailed player, can play systematically more detailed, and that means defensively he's getting to the right spots and, you know, even on the forecheck getting on the right spots. But uh, other than that, you know, Barry says uh, Leo is more of a, a instinctual player and, you know, he's going to throw his body around. He's going to be – you know, he's going to throw some interceptions at times and he's going to go for the hits sometimes and miss and he's going to slash some people at times. But for now, Leo has really, you know, uh, last couple of games at least settled into that Cal Clutterbuck-like role. And that, you know, Ross Johnson was playing with Barzell on a top line. He's now uh, slid down with Josh Bailey, who slid over to the middle and Ross is playing on the third line left wing, and Josh, you know, talked about this with him uh, the other day, and you know, he's one of these. He's just happy to play wherever he, wherever coach puts him. So he's played left wing this year. He's played right wing. If you go way, 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 way back with Josh Bailey, you know, he still considers himself a natural center. So he enjoys playing center, and uh, you know, you got Tommy Kunakel. Uh, you know, who's got a three-game point streak going into the Devils game. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I believe that's Tommy's uh, first three points of the season. Um, yeah, they are. Uh, you know, two goals and one assist. He's got a two-game goal streak. And, uh, you know, he's been okay with Matthew Barzell. And, you know, you, you really consider Tommy more of a grinder, you know, bottom six guy. But what Barry Trotz is looking to do across the four lines is uh, he's looking for that, you know, the balance uh, where, you know, he can get production and he can feel comfortable rolling four lines. And he's gotten goals, you know, Sezikis with a, a two-goal effort uh, the other day in uh, in Washington. Uh, Matty Martin's chipped in with a goal. So he's getting production again uh, from the fourth line. Um, Tom Kuhnhockel with a couple of goals, and even though he's playing on the top line, you, like I said, you really consider him more of a uh, a bottom six uh, type of forward. Um, so, you know, Barry has looked, and the Islanders have looked all season to just try and get that, that four-line balance. Uh, it's been fleeting. Uh, right now they seem to be getting it, and, and that's what Barry's – you know, because he's asked about his lines all the time, and, and he's changed lines way more times than he is comfortable doing over the course of a season. He really likes finding trios and and, and kind of sticking there, but, um, you know, he's kind of gone with the flow lately. But, um, all right, well, listen, um, like I said, I caught up with Robin Leonard in Chicago. I know you guys love hearing from him. He was certainly a fan favorite. Uh, during his one season with the Islanders, he meant a lot for a lot of different reasons. You know, obviously had a great season in net, was a Vesna Trophy finalist uh, for the Islanders, you know, but a lot of fans connected with him because of the struggles that Robin went through. And it really, you know, there's a human element there. It humanizes, you know, sometimes players are up on a pedestal, but I think Robin Leonard, uh, from day one at training camp when he talked about his addiction issues and he talked about his mental health issues and he talked about what a dark place he had gotten to and how far he had sunk in depression. Um, and he's, you know, and he still fights those battles, um, but he does have support. And he really, I think, connected with a lot of Islander fans and just a lot of people in that room and, you know, he connected with the media as well. He's, he's just a good person and it's good to see him doing well in Chicago and, and living a healthy lifestyle. And we'll have that interview with Robin right after this message. Enter the Octagon for a special edition of Newsday Live with MMA fighters Chris Weidman, Matt Serra, and Aljamain Sterling. Tuesday, January 14th at 6.30. Newsday subscribers save 50%. Tickets now available at newsday.com slash MMA live. We're here with Robin Leonard uh, before the Blackhawks face the Islanders coming out of the Christmas break. And first of all, Robin, it's great to see you. And just how's the Chicago experience been for you? Uh, yeah, it's good to see you too. But uh, no, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, 
obviously a pretty great organization and a really nice city. Uh, obviously, we haven't uh, really played out to our potential yet, but uh, I hope we can turn around. What were the expectations? Uh, you know, obviously things don't work out with the Islanders. We've been over, you know, the who's and why's of that. But you, you signed with the Blackhawks. What are, what are the expectations in terms of building your game and, you know, really finding a, a permanent home, hopefully? Yeah, no, I think uh, there was a bunch of things that came into it. I thought it was, uh, uh, when the opportunity arrived, I thought it was a good fit for a few different reasons. I thought that uh, the upside potential is obviously there with some world-class players uh, on the team. Uh, um, some good young guys coming up. Um, you know, kind of the same vibe as when I came to Long Island. You know, uh, they didn't have the best uh, defensive seasons as of late. And, uh, you know, come in and try to be a helping part of turning that around. Um, so, uh, but for, for me personally, it was another, I wouldn't say challenge. I just think it was a, <clears throat> a good opportunity, uh, opportunity for me to to prove some people wrong you know uh, I think uh, as I've said many times before I don't think I have have gotten the credit uh, at times that I that I deserve and uh, uh, pretty much fully discounted uh, from uh, the Buffalo days where I felt like I played some really good hockey for a three-year period uh, period of time uh, and put up some good numbers and then I had good numbers, obviously, and played pretty good in Long Island. But then I kind of start put, being put in a pocket of being a uh, system-type goalie, uh, which I think that uh, been playing in Ottawa and in Buffalo proven I wasn't. Uh, so kind of come to a team that was struggling a little bit defensively, uh, show that I can play very good on whatever team I'm in. Uh, was a good good challenge for me and uh, a good part. Yeah, because the numbers look pretty similar to what you were doing. You know, you look at the save percentage and, and all that. I mean, they it, it, it always go up and down a little bit during the season, you know, but uh, in the end of the day, it's uh, it's not just about numbers. hard sometimes with the, with the numbers, but uh, I mean, anyone that's been watching uh, my games this year pretty closely, I, I mean, I'm playing probably best hockey of my career at the moment. Um, and uh, taking another step uh, and uh, you know 28 years old that's still getting better and uh, uh, yeah it's, uh, it's easy to try to analyze and analyze statistics and whatnot you know but I mean one thing that I kind of been looking at over the last uh, bunch of years a lot personally it's been uh, quality starts uh, and uh, that's kind of been my main focus for pers- personally, try to have as many games as possible uh, in a quality start, to, to trying to be over 90, 90 91% each, each start I'm in to give the team a chance. And if you look at last year, I think uh, majority of my games were quality starts. And uh, I got pulled once last year uh, at all season. And uh, just try to find that level of consistency. And uh, even in in this team this year, we've been struggling a little bit defensively. And uh, but I still think I've, out of 20 starts or so, I've had like two, maybe three starts where I haven't been over uh, 90, 91 percent. So that's kind of where I've, where my head's has been. Not much goals against average, save percentage, stuff like that. There's some advanced metrics of like goals above average stuff like that's been pretty good for my last bunch of years but uh, um, sometimes you just gotta see, look at the games and see how many quality chances and odd man rushes and stuff like that but uh, for me personally quality starts has been uh, my my biggest goals to to stay consistent with you, you you spent more time in ottawa you spent more time in buffalo how do you kind of encapsulate your one season with the islanders and, and what you know, when you look back at your career, what what that one year is going to mean? Yeah, no, that one year is probably going to mean uh, uh, hopefully not the most because I feel like I have a lot, lot left uh, uh, in this league to prove and I still want to win a Stanley Cup one day. And But uh, it's, it's going to be hard to beat that season. Uh, 
honestly, even with the Stanley Cup, uh, if, if managed to win one one day, uh, probably hard to uh, compare to that season, anyways, because it was so much, uh, so much that I will remember from that year, and uh, you know everything from how how the fans been to me there, and they still are, um, and uh, you know what a what a fun year it was. And and you still kind of have a back and forth going, like you said on Twitter. So there's yeah. there's still a relationship. Yeah, no, but you know, like the it's kind of special. I don't know if this happened many times. You know, with the, it's that the fan base has been such a positive factor of my life. You know, uh, I I don't look at it in a hockey way or uh, anything like that. It's been. Uh, all personal to me. They've been very nice, uh, been very supportive, and really, really good people. So uh, I, uh, I appreciate that more than I think. Well, listen, Robin, it, it's great seeing you, and, and wish you all the best. And you take care of yourself, yeah, man. You too. Thank you. Thanks again to uh, Robin Leonard. It was uh, great seeing him. Uh, I think uh, the Blackhawks don't come into New York. I'm looking, looking, look. Yeah, it's the uh, next to last game. That's April 2nd. Uh, they'll play the Blackhawks uh, at Nassau Coliseum. I'm sure that will be an emotional day for uh, Robin and and for Islander fans. And uh, I, I'm sure, you know, he was only here one year. I am assuming he'll get the video tribute and a, a standing ovation and uh you know what, um, as you heard in that interview, uh, that one year with the Islanders will will always be something very, very special to uh, Robin Leonard. And uh, fans, even though you miss him, uh, you, you should feel good that, that as much as he got to you, you got to him. So uh, with that, we are going to move on to the back from hiatus, Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And as I do every week, except for episode 13, where we just blew it off, uh, just going to scroll through the Twitter responses and uh, uh, try and group some of these together. I, I know, Ed, you know, I'm looking at it. I'm just looking at a stream, but I, I know there are some... Uh, some of the same things. For instance, we'll start out Old School Mountie, who uh, contributes each week, and I appreciate that, is asking about uh, Kiefer Bellows, and there are some uh, others who are asking for Kiefer Bellows. So I'm sorry I'm not mentioning everyone's name, but here is the Kiefer Bellows uh, answer. And the question basically is, uh, you know, when's he going to be here? <laughs> he's he's got 12 goals in uh, for his last 14 games for Bridgeport down in the AHL, and uh, you know his old school Mountie kind of sums up for everyone here. When does Bellows make his NHL debut with the Islanders? And uh, you know I I think it's a good question. Um, to be honest with you, if the Islanders, if the five two game in Chicago had bled into uh, a couple of more, you know, lower scoring games in Minnesota and Washington. I was really expecting Kiefer Bellows to greet the Islanders when they got back from the road trip. However, uh, the Islanders kind of turned it around there. Seven goals over two games. And, uh, you know, Barry seems to want to roll with this lineup a little bit. So it doesn't make sense to bring him up Um if there's not a spot for him, and you still got Michael Dalcall, who's now a healthy scratch. Uh, you got Cal Clutterbuck, who, you know, out kind of indefinitely, but, you know, at some point, as Lou Lamarillo said, he'll be back. So, uh, you know, and uh, I, I know one of the questions was about, you know, not wanting to expose players to waivers going down, you know, Michael Dalcall or Ross Johnson. Or, or even a Leo Komarov, um, you know, you, you you don't want to take a chance on another player um, you know, scarfing them up. So, you know, uh, the the Islanders are at 22 players right now, so there is a spot. So I would think, and the Islanders have always, you know, and most NHL teams do it, I would say all NHL teams do it, when, when they're looking for someone – to call up from the AHL, unless it's someone specific they need, they ask 
the the the, the AHL coach and GM who is playing the best for you and you know Kiefer Bellows would seem to be the next man up right now um and why I on OLN says Grice has always been relaxed and in no maintenance, very ungoalie like uncharacteristics. Has he made any statements regarding his contract future? Um, he has not made any statements, um, but I did ask him about it. And you can go to uh, newsday.com backslash sports uh, Islanders. There is a whole Islanders page. And if you keep scrolling, it's an endless scroll now uh, with the redesign. So you can find any article if you look hard enough. And I, I did ask, uh, ask uh, Thomas Grice about his contract situation. And he, you know, he acknowledged that he knows about it, but it's not anything he's thinking about. And uh, you're right, Thomas is not the kind of guy who's going to make any kind of statements about it. But he is the kind of guy, if you ask him about it, he'll kind of say that, you know, like he said to me, you know, it, it's not something that affects him right now. It, it's really an off-season worry uh, for him. Um, Adam uh, Papa. Julius, and you know, each week that you ask questions, Adam, I'm going to get closer and closer to pronouncing your last name correctly. But uh, does Coach Trotz hesitate to use timeouts more now that the rules have changed? There seems to be moments in games where the momentum swings, and you'd almost expect a timeout to be used. And it's not Barry Trotz. This is across the uh, the league. Coaches are hesitant to use their timeouts because they don't want to lose that, that, that challenge there. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, they want to keep it in their pocket in case they need it. So yeah, it has changed the way, uh, coaches coach, um, Clarence screaming Buffalo swamp town, uh, who does not appear to be a Josh Bailey fan says Bailey disappears for games on end. Why is he never and never is in all caps, a healthy scratch. And, um, you know what? I, I mean, I don't think Barry is afraid to scratch anyone, but Barry clearly sees it differently than than you do. Um, and I, I know some fans do get on Josh. Um, you know, there are moments in games, you know, a bad pass or, you know, just kind of not exactly where he should be. But uh, as, as far as Barry is concerned and, uh, you know, even I, I really like Josh Bailey's game. I, 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 one of the reasons being you really can throw him anywhere and he's so well respected in that room um you know 30 year old veteran uh you know as we'll talk about more on episode 15 of island ice josh paley is the only islander to be with the team for the entire decade of the 2010s he's the only guy you know here the whole time um and i i just think he carries a, a certain reputation um, and Barry likes his game overall, likes that he can use him as a center, and, and he Barry really likes his hockey IQ. Anyone who talks about Josh Bailey winds up talking about his hockey IQ, be it coaching staff and, and uh, his teammates, and, and Josh invariably does little things, and, and you know, there, there's stuff, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit it, I, I am not seeing a hockey game. I've seen tons of hockey games since you know I got on uh, my first beat in 2003 I, I've never counted it up I'm sure I'm over the thousand game mark but I do not see the game the way coaches and scouts and and players do and there's stuff in Josh Bailey's game that those people rave about and that's why he is not coming out um in trots we trust says any word on a replacement for Travis Williams who was a you know, kind of in charge of the Islanders' business operations. I have not heard anything. Um, and, you know, no, uh, nothing there. And, uh, you know, I'm, that's all behind the uh, behind the scenes stuff. And, uh, you know, probably the first time I hear about it will be when they send out an announcement. I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, they could have someone in place right now and they just haven't gone public with it. Um Tier 1 Media says, do you agree uh, Columbus Blue Jacket player on bench who opened the door hoping Barzell would fall through should receive discipline from the NHL? I hate that kind of cowardly stuff. And look, you know, if if that is exactly what happened, yeah, I, I think there should be discipline. But I, I think it's very, very, very hard 
to prove that a guy opens a door so another player flies through. And if you remember when Matt Martin got hurt in uh, in uh, in Ottawa on October 25th, Cal Clutterbuck was furious at the, at the Senators bench um, because the door was not latched, and that's how Matty Martin got hurt. So uh, uh, players do take stuff into their own hands. Uh, you know, they they know what's going on. Um, but as far as, you know, supplementary discipline from the NHL, I, I think it's that would be particularly very tough to, to, to prove. Uh, Josh Forst says, do you think the Islanders host the Winter Classic in 2022 to welcome the new arena? Quick answer, no, I don't. And it has less to do with the Islanders opening a new arena with and more to do with I don't think NBC is going to be too uh, excited or anxious to throw the Islanders into a winter classic at home. Um, If there is a winter classic in the New York area, and and the same would go for the Devils, if there is a winter classic in the New York area, it's going to be a Rangers uh, winter classic. And one of the issues there, and if you remember when they had that stadium series the Yankee uh, the at Yankee Stadium the Rangers played both the Islanders and Devils at Yankee Stadium in outdoor games and the Islanders and Devils were the designated home teams uh for both those games and the reason there being is that the Rangers and their contract with Madison Square Garden is that the the Rangers have to play all 41 home games at Madison Square Garden no wiggle room there contractually so I, I think it would be tough. Uh, I just don't think NBC, their, their metrics show that the Islanders do not push the meter in terms of national TV audience to where they'd be able to sell it to the advertisers. So I, I don't see, like, say, an Islander you know, flyer, an Islander penguin uh, uh, winter classic. I, I personally would love it. I, I've, I've been to a few of these outdoor games. Uh, both games at Yankee Stadium, the Ranger game against the Flyers in Philadelphia. I, I covered the Flyers' uh, Boston Bruin games in Fenway Park. I, I think they're a lot of fun. I know the players really get into it, and I think if given the chance, the Islanders would love to host a Winter Classic. I, I just think NBC would be the roadblock there. Um, Jason Frank says, any chance that Bar- uh, Cole Bardreau comes back? Knew he was injured, felt he did the best job at third center this year. Team played the, their best stretch when he was in there. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. Um, I, I really like Cole Bardreau. Um, I, I think the issue might be is he gives you a little bit too much of exactly what Casey Sezekis gives you. Um, and can you get by with two of those guys? Uh, in in your lineup, I mean the the counter argument there is you're using Josh Bailey as a third line center, and he's really you know more of a, a top nine, top six wing for you. Um, but I, I, personally, I'm, I was a little surprised that Cole was not you know called back. I know he was hurt a little bit. I, I thought he did a really good job up here. Um, a little surprised, you know. I know Tanner Fritz is gone through injuries uh, when healthy. Uh, I thought Tanner Fritz might get a chance, but um, you know, again, and, and, and talking about what we did with Bellows, it's also which players do you want to get off your lineup? You know, obviously if there's an injury, that would change things. Um, Robert Goldman says, uh, so Andrew Ladd and Kiefer Bellows are scoring for the Sound Tigers. But are not centers, do you think, and this is another Bordreau question, either Otto Koivula or Bordreau make it back so the Islanders can roll four lines or do they keep using Broussard and Bailey at center and go with three and a half lines? I think that as of this moment, I think Barry Trotz feels he can roll four lines using Bailey as a center and Brass on right wing. Um, again, that has changed several times this season. Ultimately, you know, I think Otto would be uh, the more longer-term solution than Cole Bardreau. Um, but, again, it's when do you trust Otto fully uh, with that kind of minutes if you're going to use him in that spot. I, I don't think we're there right now, although Otto, you know, I, I didn't mind him when he was up here. Um, Kurt Green, another Bridgeport-themed question. In 29 games with the Islanders, Sound Tigers this year, Oliver Wallstrom, who 
just got eliminated today with uh, Team USA in the World Juniors. They they only reached the quarterfinals, so Team USA is not going to medal this year, which is a, a huge disappointment uh, for that program. Uh, Wallstrom has only three goals and one goal in four World Junior games. Should we be concerned that this goal scorer is not scoring, or is he, quote, just learning to play the game the right way? Could he now be trade bait with Bellow's resurgence? Um, I, I certainly think people will ask for Oliver Wallstrom in a deal. I don't think the Islanders are willing to move on this quickly from him. There is way too much potential right now. And, yeah, I, I do think this is a lot about him learning to play the right way. Uh, Barry Trotz harped on that when Oliver was up here about you know having to be responsible defensively, and I know that's something that Brent Thompson – uh, is stressing now down in Bridgeport in order to get Oliver Wallstrom back up to the NHL. Uh, let, let's face it, uh, you know, Wally could score 25 goals the rest of the season, but if he can't play defense to Barry Trotz's satisfaction, he's not making it back up here. Um, let's see. Uh, Islanders fan 1143 is Pajot the best option for the Islanders to get a top line goal scorer at a reasonable price. Uh, C asked, do you think Pajot and Duclair are good fits at the deadline? Uh, I know there were some other, uh, there might've been some other, uh, uh, trade questions, but I'll, I'll, I can't find them right this moment. Pajot certainly having a really, really solid season, uh, his best season for the Senators, coming at the right time. Um, I think what you have to wonder about with uh, Pajot is this a little bit of an outlier as he, uh, he goes into UFA. I think you saw that, uh, was it a few years ago with the Ducks? Uh, Matt Bolesky, uh, you know, had an incredible UFA season. Uh, the Bruins signed him, and that didn't work out. Um you know, I, I've, I, I covered Anthony Duclair when he first came up with the Rangers, and you really you, you just get enamored of, his, of this guy's skill in his skating. And, uh, you know, as A.V. used to call him, uh, you know, I'm happy for the Duke right now because he's, uh, he seems to finally put it all together, and it comes right after, you know, John Tortorella kind of drummed him out of uh, Columbus saying he didn't think he could really play the right way or, you know, play the game. But uh, Anthony Duclair, you know, I, I, I would take a chance on Anthony Duclair having finally gotten it. And I, I think, you know, he could really play in a trot system, you know, in that he is a speedy guy. I mean, him and him and Barzell in a line together would be electric, you know, and then you would have to hope that they could uh, – you know, play the requisite defense too. Um, if uh, Melissa asks, uh, if you could add one current active player of any team to the Islanders, not accounting for contract or salary cap, who will you add? Um, also, who would you take off the Islanders? And you know what? I'll throw you a curveball here. And I was actually. You know, I brought this up to Barry Trotz, and obviously he can't make any comments about that. But, you know, playing the Devils reminded me of just how solid a player Travis Zajac is. And if the Islanders, if you commit to the fact that the Islanders' big hole right now is third-line center, the Islanders could do a heck of a lot worse than than getting Travis Zajac to kind of anchor that that third line. Hell of a defensive player. Great face-off taker. Uh, you know, he does chip in offensively. I, I really like Travis Zajac and as a player. Um, you know, and if you take away the contract or the salary cap, I, I, you know, I know everyone is clamoring for that top six wing, you know, to, you know, Peugeot or Duclair to, to boost the scoring. Uh, I'm looking at a third-line center, and I think you could do a lot worse than Travis Zajac. Um who would I take off the Islanders? Um, you know, up until the other day, uh, when, when Leo Komarov seems to have taken over for Cal Clutterbuck, uh, I might have pointed to Leo. No offense, Leo. Sorry. Uh, your kids are really cute, and I like you a lot. But, um, 
you know, as, as far as I, I think Leo just added a lot more to the team last season when he was playing with Val Philpula. I think it's been a little bit of a struggle for him to find a role this season. And uh, I, I think the way Barry Trotz has made him a healthy scratch in and out has has kind of signified that. Um, Brian G. asked, could Hosang play in the NHL this season? I think Barry has exhausted every line combo with this roster. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of gotten there. Hey, could Hosang play in the NHL this season? I, I Why not? You know, I mean... Uh, I, well, when I say why not, obviously we have the whole trade request deal and him being away from Bridgeport for so long. And if you notice, he was wearing number 34 instead of 26 the other day. Um, you know what? I mean, Lou said clean slate. And if you believe, Lou, that it really is a clean slate now that Josh is back, I think Josh is just like anyone else down in Bridgeport. And if he plays well enough he would be considered. Um, Watt says, what do you think the goalie situation looks like once and if Sorokin gets the call up? Well, first of all, you got to get him under under contract and uh, into North America. That would not be until next season. And uh, next season, as I've been saying, I I still think there is a spot because uh, I don't think the Islanders are going to re-up Thomas Grice when push comes to shove. Um, You know, provided Sorokin does come over and you know they're they're also uh high on Skarek down in uh, Bridgeport um and perhaps you know uh, earlier in the season you know you with Grice having the same numbers as uh Varlamov you would think that Grice would want the same five million as as uh as Varlamov gets um you know if you can get Grice in at three million it makes more financial sense but I think the priority is probably to get Ilya Sorokin over to North America and try and get him into an Islanders jersey. Um, Joseph Miller says, do you foresee any additions coming to the team despite being 25-10-3? It's clear this team has serious flaws that should be addressed. Um, I just mentioned Travis Zajac, and do I see any additions coming to this team? You know, asking around the league, I know – Last year, we all anticipated Lou Lamarillo making a trade, and it, it didn't happen. We all anticipated Lou really doing something in the offseason, and it didn't happen. A- asking around the league now, the anticipation, and this is not just me talking, the anticipation around the league is, is that Lou Lamarillo does something. So, yes, I do see foresee additions. Um, Let's see, uh, John Gordon says, Andrew Ladd discuss. He's in Bridgeport. Um, they are saving money against the salary cap this way, and that will come in handy if they do want to make an acquisition later in the season. Um, Chris Dennehy says, my hockey coming of age was the 70s. Al Arbor was the solitary figure behind the Islanders bench long before the age of uh, – coaching specialization and numerous assistants. What is Barry Trotz's role during the game? And and I confirm this with Barry today. Typically, uh, the NHL head coach calls out the line changes for the forwards. So he is really in charge of the forwards. Jim Hiller and John Gruden are are really running uh, the defense for Barry Trotz. But Barry Trotz is calling out the line changes, making those line changes combination changes during the game and really he's overseeing the the whole bench obviously you know if there's a a a play in dispute he's you know he he has communication with the video staff whether to challenge or not but specifically Barry Trotz is running the forwards and you know making sure he's getting the matchups that he wants uh, but but a good question and like i said you know that's typically how it runs on NH, every nhl bench but i i just wanted to confirm with barry that, that and he seemed surprised uh, when i asked him today and i said barry in my business when you assume you just get in trouble and we had a joke over the old odd couple episode where uh tony randall's felix breaks down what happens when you assume because I don't know if I can say it on a podcast, but you make a, a jack donkey out of you and me. So uh, let's see. Um, 
Better odds from Justin Penchak. Better odds Bellows plays more than nine games this season or Bellows gets traded. I would say plays more than nine games. Um, Jeff says, any chance Beauvillier gets a chance to play with Barzell? I know Trotz is hesitant to move him off Brock's wing, but I feel like Bo has earned a look on the top line with top line minutes. And again, uh, uh, another good question, because that is something I asked uh, Barry in Minnesota. I said, you know, Bo and Barzell really have had something in the past, but you've been hesitant to go to that. And he said it's not a, not wanting to play Bo with uh, Barzy. It's a he wants to keep Bo with Brock. He says some seasons two guys just have something together. If you remember a couple of games ago, he dropped uh, Bo down to the third line to play with Brass. And, he, and even though Brass has been on the second line as a wing, Bo said without Nelly, or Barry said without Nelly there, it, it just lo- lost something. So he is, you know, until further notice, he does not want to separate Bo from Nelly. Um, Steve says, any updates on the playoff home arena? No. Hoping it's going to be Nassau Coliseum. That's me talking, not Steve talking. Um, Mike Eisner says, do you expect Varlamov to take the reins and be the official number one goalie? You heard Barry talking about that. Um, you could see longer stretches, but Thomas Grice is not going to be, you know, once every three weeks uh, goalie. Mark Beck says, thoughts on the prospect of Palmieri from New Jersey as a trade option. Uh, Smithtown, I believe, is listed as Kyle's uh, hometown, even though he did the bulk of his growing up in New Jersey and uh in Bergen County, I would love Kyle Palmieri having covered him. I think he's just a, a sensational player. Adds a lot to a team. He would cost a lot. He's you know he would cost a lot. And again, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, don't know if Ray and Lou are getting together anytime soon for for trade talks or, or any kind of talks. Uh, Ryan Jenkins says, should Lou target Kevin LeBanc, say Josh Hosang in a 2022nd? Um, might take a little bit more to get another Long Island product. Um, I, I like Kevin LeBanc's play and game, and, uh, you know, so does San Jose. Um, so uh, let's see, uh, Michael Pelmont uh, uh, is Michael Dalcal here still here strictly because they fear losing him on waivers? Um, and I, I mentioned this, but you know, there's yeah, you don't want to lose Dalcal, and I don't think it's because they strictly lose fear losing him on waivers. I think he's they think he can be a useful player. He's just not in the lineup right now. Um, let's see. Uh, Dave McBride says, "Will the Horn continue?" Uh, will the horn honk at the new arena? Let's go Islanders. Yeah, I mean, the new arena, traditions at the new arena are what the fans bring over from the old arena. Um, you know, that happened in Montreal. It's happened everywhere. Montreal is still a cathedral as far as hockey, even though they're not playing at the Forum. So Islander fans will make Belmont Park Arena, you know, what they want to make it. And if they want, you know, it to be – have the atmosphere of the Coliseum, that is possible. Uh, Jay Meyer says, Islanders brass help push John Tavares out by not getting him a winger and support. How can they be doing the same with Barzell? Um, and it's with two separate administrations. Do Islanders really value their prospects that much? And, you know, uh, I cannot speak to what the Islanders did or did not do uh, with the John Tavares era. I really only covered about three weeks of that and then that offseason where he left. Um, you know, I, I, I go back to it's not that Lou Lamarillo did not try and get Artemi Panarin, and I think Matthew Barzell recognizes that. Um, I, I don't think anything – uh, of this will go into Barzell's, you know, he's going to be a restricted free agent uh, this offseason. And, you know, as I've mentioned on the show, I think it's going to be a difficult negotiation. I think Barzell wants to kind of get paid, you know, in the Mitch Marner area of money. And, you know, whether Lou valuates him at the same range, uh, we'll have to see. But I, I do anticipate some difficult negotiations there. I don't think it has anything to do with Matthew Barzell um, wondering about 
you know, Lou Lamarillo not being able to acquire, a, you know, a, a top-line wing for him. And to be fair, I, I really – Barzi has always been incredibly complimentary of the wings he's played with. He, he really does like playing with Anders Lee, and he really has liked playing with Jordan Everly or, or you know – uh, so I, I don't think that is an issue. And then uh, I've been saving this one for the last question because, like I said, 2020 is all about humor. And I uh, want to send you out on a, on a, a ha-ha note here. But uh, Dylan Butler, and Dylan, good to hear from you. I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, Dylan Butler says, and, and you're not the first guy to point this out to me, Notice in post-game interviews, you ferociously chew gum. What is your go-to gum? <laughs> it is Trident. I, I do like the Trident, the sugar-free there. And, uh, you know, just the original. I'm kind of an old-school, no-frills guy. I like the old-school Trident there. And, you know, I do want to mention that, yeah, you know, I ferociously chew gum. It's probably a bad habit um, if everyone is noticing it. But you know what, Dylan? Uh uh, and you know this, having been in rooms, I mean, you eat a lot of crap in, in, in press boxes and you drink a lot of coffee sometimes. And I just don't want to go into that dressing room and offend anyone. So it, it is part of just, you know, the postgame ritual is grab my tape recorder, grab my notebook, grab my pen and shove a stick of gum in my mouth just to, just to be sure. And, and you know what? Dylan, I like to think uh, I do a lot of things in life. You know, if I'm chewing gum ferociously, go at it hard, man. You know, uh, it's like when I play drums, every band I've ever been in <laughs> has asked me not to play as loudly or as hard. But, I mean, you know, back there I'm Tommy Aldridge or Chad Smith or Liberty DeVito, of course, minus all that talent, uh, just the loudness. And, you know, just today uh, the, the poor help desk had to get me a new keyboard for my laptop because I basically have punched a hole in it because I type so hard because I learned how to type on a uh, on a manual typewriter and I've never gotten out of that. But uh, Dylan just – that that's my advice in life. Go hard. Go hard at anything you do, and that includes gum. And that concludes episode fourteen of Island Ice Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I am Andrew Gross at A Gross Newsday. You can find everything I write or anything anybody writes about the Islanders on the Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports. Uh, there is an Islander page. And uh, you can find this podcast uh, on the Newsday website. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can go to Apple Podcasts. You can go to Google. You can go to Spotify. I thank you all for listening. We will be back next week with another episode. And happy hockey, everybody.